Today on the Dominic Enyart Show, we are slowing things down a little bit and really diving deep into two of the questions we brought up last week. One, what does the Bible say about the age of accountability? And then two, what do we do as Christians when we see God say, thou shalt not murder, but then throughout the entire Bible, he goes on to kill thousands. What do we do with that? All that and more coming up right now. Greetings to the brightest audience in the country. Welcome to the Dominic Enyart Show. I am your host, Dominic Enyart. A lot to get to today. This show, we do about half an hour here, and I have a hard time fitting all I have into this little time slot. Maybe I should consider getting a a longer show. Maybe you guys reach out if you're interested in me having a little bit of a longer show. But no, I want to slow things down today. Maybe get to a headline or two. We'll see. But... Uh, really, I want to explore what we have time for and not rush things today. I was talking about God last week, and I, I feel like I rushed things towards the end, and I'd like to spend some more time talking about the age of accountability and the morality of God killing people in the Bible. Uh, and we we shall see what we have time for. So why does the Bible... Why does it say you shall not murder, but then we see God killing thousands of people throughout the entire Bible? And what, why is that? And there, there are a lot of Christian responses to that. Some are stronger than others. And I'm sure a dozen or so ideas popped into your head when I started talking about that. And I want to talk about one answer I believe Christians should stop using and talk about what I think is a better response And then also the age of accountability. If you recall last week, we were talking about the age of accountability, which that's a widely held Christian belief that I myself adhere to. And that conversation springboarded the topic of, you know, why does God kill people when when the Bible says thou shalt not murder? And so I I would like to, to revisit that and revisit this age of accountability I'll talk about the age of accountability first. And before diving in, it should be pointed out that the phrase, the age of accountability, doesn't actually appear in the Bible. And like the word Trinity doesn't actually appear in the Bible. Both are, you know, concepts that we get from reading the Bible. And so the age of accountability, essentially what it is, is there's a problem And the problem is that Jesus says, no one shall come to the Father except through me. And Paul, when he's talking about salvation and how do we get saved, he essentially says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Cool. We've got our answer. (laughs) Now, the problem is, well, what about a baby, for, for example, who passes away? And that baby is unable to understand even the concepts of Jesus, life, death, resurrection, salvation, etc. So what happens to that baby? And the, the age of accountability says essentially, hey, if you've got a child who dies and hasn't reached the age 
where they're able to understand all of these, you know, concepts, then they will go to heaven until they reach the age of accountability in heaven. And up there, they will decide whether to love or reject God. And so the age of accountability, there's a problem. The age of accountability solves the problem. And this is an important issue that we should have a stance on because with abortion, there are in America alone, 3,000 children, babies in the womb, who are being murdered every day. And we need to know, what is God doing with all those babies who are being murdered? Is he sending them to hell? I need to know, does the God I worship, does the God I worship send those babies to hell? And, you know, babies, they don't understand the concept of salvation, primarily because, well, you know, they're babies and they can't talk. And... A lot of Christians say, well, hey, babies, they don't meet the criteria for salvation, and so they go to hell. <sighs> now, if you've been following th this show for a while, you'll know that here on the Dominic Inyart Show, we are not fans of lawyers. Every time there's something simple, they confuse it. Every time there's a figure of speech, they act as if it is woodenly literal. Every time there is a direct command or ordinance, they act as if it is a figure of speech. And, you know, most Christians agree with this. Most Christians agree that lawyers are dumb and annoying, with the exception of, of Josh Craddock, of course. <laughs> Uh, but no, as a general rule of thumb, lawyers are the worst. And I asked my dad one time what he would do if I became a lawyer, and he answered my question with a question. He said, uh, do you mean before or after disowning you? And uh, so, yeah, we don't like lawyers, but Christians so often read the Bible as if we are lawyers ourselves. And, you know, we look at our relationship with God and our relationship, it's just that. It's a relationship. It's meant to be a personal, relational relationship, and it's reasonable. Yet as Christians, when we read the Bible, we act like lawyers and we pretend it's a contract between ourselves and God. And so Christians, they look at babies being murdered in the womb and they say, you know, well, they didn't know about Jesus and they never confessed with their mouths and they don't know about the resurrection, so they must not be saved. When they die, they go to hell. Can you believe that? Can you believe that Christians say that? And I've argued, I've argued, debated with many Christians who've said this. It's not a completely uncommon belief. And they read the Bible like lawyers. And it's pretty easy to show that, hey, we're not supposed to be reading the Bible like this. You know, Paul says, and this is one thing I might, I might use to show that we're not supposed to read the Bible like lawyers. Paul says, you must confess with your mouth. And you could ask these Christians, do mute people, you know, a mute person who can't speak. It, if you have a mute person who wishes to accept Christ, but they're mute and they can't confess with their mouth, are they sent to hell? Say you've got a mute guy who's crazy, crazy legalistic, reading the Bible like a lawyer type guy, and he wants to confess with his mouth, but he's a mute. 
So instead, he does the best he can. He confesses with sign language, and he writes it down on a piece of paper. Is he saved? And most of these people, these legalistic people who read the Bible like lawyers, they know intuitively, of course, that guy is saved. So you can say, well, hey, you know, you're recognizing that this isn't to be taken woodenly literally here, yet you do that with babies. Why is that? And in my experience, you will not get a direct answer. Now, obviously, that little thought experiment on its own isn't enough to prove the age of accountability, but it is enough to get the wheels turning. They might start thinking, you know, hey, maybe this isn't as strict as... I thought, and maybe God is a little bit more personal with this whole thing. So it kind of kind of gets the wheels turning a bit. And I remember a few years back, I was having a friendly debate over uh, a bunch of theology topics, but um, it, it came to the age of accountability. And, and my pastor was there, and Will Duffy, and that was bef- back before he had his own church. He wasn't a pastor back then. And he said, well... If God sends babies to hell, if he sends them all to hell, you know that that's not a moral thing to do. And if I were to go out onto the street and grab 100 people off the side of the road and ask them, is sending babies to hell immoral? 100 out of 100 will say that it's wrong. And, you know, it's only people with an axe to grind who have a weird theology that can bring themselves to say that's morally morally acceptable. And the response that we got was, it, it was typical. One of the people who argue that Christ sends babies to hell said, yeah, you know, but they aren't the standard for what's right and wrong. They are not the standard for morality. God is the standard. So who are you and who are those random people to say what is right and what is wrong? And two things came to mind. First, Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give a defense to anyone or to, to anyone, to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And so you know, be able to give a defense of Christ. And if any atheist comes up to you and says, hey, well, you know, Christ sends babies to hell and that's evil. Imagine that happens to you and you're you're one of these people. And your, your defense is, no, it's not evil because God is doing it. That's a horrible defense. That is a terrible, terrible defense. You have to be able to defend God. Why is that not evil? You have to be able to explain it. The fact that he does it isn't an explanation for why he does it. And so that was my first thought. And my second second thought is, you know, when you believe someone challenges the character of God, you know, you as this person who believe believes that God sends baby, babies to hell, When you believe someone is challenging the character of God, you ask, who are you to say any such thing? You are just a random dude, which, by the way, that's a very liberal-esque argument. Liberals love asking, who are you to say that I can't get an abortion? Uh, Anyways, but so you ask, who are you to talk about morality? And that's your response. But when someone challenges God himself on morality, what is God's response? When someone says, hey, God, I have an issue with you. I've got a problem with how you're running things. 
How does God respond when we see that? What do we see that God does? Well, typically, typically God says, he says, all right, well, the floor is yours. What can you say? What do you have against me? What do you have to say against me? And if you remember with Job, Job, he took issue with God and God said, all right, well, I'm all, I'm, I'm all ears. What do you have to, what do you have to say? And then I'll, I'll paraphrase Job's response here, but he essentially said, oh God, I'm so sorry. Please, please forgive me. You know, another example is Abimelech, and this was in Genesis chapter 20. He wants to get with Abraham's wife. Abraham had told him, hey, she's my sister. And he said that because he was a bit of a coward. And he thought that if he told them that he was her husband, that they would kill him so they could get with his wife. And so he said, no, no, she's just my sister. And so he was a little bit cowardly there. Uh, But Abimelech didn't know that she was married because Abraham said, hey, this is my sister. And Abimelech thought to himself, hey, maybe I'll pursue this gal. She's she's real pretty. And God, he wasn't too happy about that. So he told Abimelech in a dream, you are a dead man because you want to take this dude's wife. That's not okay." And then Abimelech, he had issue with this. So he said, hey, I've got a problem with this. And God said, well, the floor is yours. And Abimelech said, are you going to kill me for pursuing this gal? I had no idea she was married. You're going to kill me for that? You can't kill me. That would be wrong. And notice right now how that's similar to what we say about if God were to send babies to hell, that would be wrong. Then here, how does God respond? Does he say what these, you know, people with bad theology say? Does he say, you know, oh, who are you, oh man, to question me, the God of the universe? Is that what he says? No. No, that's not what he says at all. He says, good point. It's a good point. I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to kill you. And he takes the issue head on, unlike these people who claim that God sends babies to hell. God himself takes these accusations head on. And then, you know, afterwards in that story, God says, just for fun, he says, also, by the way, if you do get with her, I will kill you. So I'm not not letting you off the hook. Um, And you notice how these stories, it's not like a contract. It's not like they're, you know, making God out to seem like a bureaucrat, but they're more like God being a relatable person who loves us and who interacts with us. Does God seem like the type of person to be a lawyer and care about pointless bureaucracy? No, he hates it. And he's reasonable because he's a good and wise God. And so even still, even after that point, you might be arguing with one of these uh, Christians and Christians who genuinely do love God, but I do believe they have a theology, which sadly, I, I believe it turns God into a bit of a monster. And you might, so you might make this point to them and some might be, you know, not fully ready to accept the age of accountability. They might think, well, yes, you know, God is a little bit more personal than I thought at first. Uh, But I'd need an example of a baby dying and going to heaven 
in the Bible. I need an example of that. And to answer that, as we mentioned uh, last week, there's a verse, uh, King David, he had sinned terribly. And because of his sin, his son died. And when his son died, he said, my son will not return to me, but I will go to him. And that there, I will go to him. What does, what does that mean? I will go to him. And David, what he's referring to is he's referring to when he dies, he will go to heaven. He will go to the next life and he will go to where his son is. I will go to him, implying by necessity that his son is saved. And this is in 2 Samuel 12. And actually, let's take a look at that. So the context, just so you know, 2 Samuel 12, that is when Nathan had rebuked David for killing Uriah and sleeping with Bathsheba. And Nathan says, because of your sin, your son is going to die. And so starting now, I'll start here in verse 15. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went with him to rise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that his child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed himself, and anointed himself and charged and changed his clothes and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped then he went to his own house and when he requested they set food before him and he ate then his servant said to him what is this that you have done you have fasted and wept for the child while he was alive but when the child died you arose and ate food and he said while the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? By the way, you notice that open theism there? It's just so rich in the text. David was an open theist who thought his prayer could change the mind of God. Continuing, For I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. You get that? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. So here, David, he's really sad because his kid, his kid died and it's his fault. He's like, hey, I prayed. I prayed so hard to keep him alive but he can't come to me because he's dead. But I, I shall go to him. I shall go to my child. And wow, that's cool. This child dies, which is a tragedy because of David's sin, and goes to heaven. The child was young, younger than the age of, account of accountability, 
certainly. And David knows intuitively, hey, I will see this child again. I will go to him. And, you know, that's the fulfillment of the biblical principle to whom much is given, much is required, right? If you have someone who is given the gospel, understands it, is old in years, and he doesn't accept Christ, you know, much was given to him, so much was required, but to this baby, nothing was given, so very little is required. And David knows, you know, I'm going to see my child again. And it's cool, right? You know, God doesn't send babies to hell. Of course not, because he's a righteous God and he's an incredible judge. To quote Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And, you know, we can expect God to be a just God, a reasonable God, a relational God, a personal God, and a loving God. God and a just, reasonable, reasonable, relational, personal, and loving God would not allow babies to be conceived and sent to hell without ever having the chance to love him. All right. Now, um, you know, if by the way, if you enjoy our content here from kgov.com, KGOV, consider signing up for our monthly Bible study. I think the best bang for your buck is the monthly Bible study MP3s. Uh, that's that's got to be my favorite. It's you can either get it as a CD or as a download. I personally, I, I use our uh, Bible study MP3 downloads. Those are my personal favorite, and they're the, the easiest to manage. So I, I recommend you try those out. But look through our store, and that's a great way to support us here, especially with some of Bob and Yurt's Bible studies. And we're starting up new Bible studies uh, now, and so that's exciting. I won't, I won't give too much of... Uh, announce an announcement on that we trying to keep the details a little bit under wraps here for a little bit but yeah sign up for the monthly bible studies highly encourage you to do that and that's a great way to to <clears throat> support us here at kgov broadcasting on the mighty 50,000 watt blowtorch for the gospel kltt here in denver colorado it's always a pleasure to to be on the terrestrial radio here. Now, I also want to talk about, uh, there's this, we've been talking about the age of accountability. And with the age of accountability, like we were talking about last week, that kind of springboarded this conversation about God. And we see that God says, thou shalt not murder in the Bible. Yet we see that God kills thousands of people throughout the Bible, whether that be from the flood or when Joshua is, you know, conquering the promised land or the 10 plagues. And there's so many times when God kills people in the Bible and, you know, God was the one who said, thou shalt not murder. So how do we justify this as Christians? And, there's an argument that I hear a lot, and the way that this conversation was springboarded was uh, in Second Samuel here, God is punishing David by killing his son. And, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, well, why, why is that fair? Why is God, you know, punishing the son for the crimes of the father? And I like to think first and foremost that to think that 
bringing this son, this David's child to heaven to be in the presence of God. I feel like that's probably, you know, the greatest thing that God could do for this child because personally, you know, I I love life and I I enjoy my time here on earth, but I look forward to the day where I get to to be in heaven with God. And I, I think I will enjoy the next life even more so than this one. So I don't view it as the child specifically is being punished. And I said I wanted to take a lot of time. Looks like we're close to being done with the time here, but I'll see what I can get through. And so why does God kill people when the Bible says thou shalt not murder? And there is an argument which I have heard a lot of Christians make, which I believe we should stop making. And that is that everyone has sinned and everyone has fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. Therefore, we all deserve death. So when God kills us, then, you know, you know, we already deserved it. So it's okay. And I really don't like this argument because as, you know, we see here with David's child or we saw in the flood, there were, you know, many innocent children, babies, even who had just been conceived, you know, moments prior, you know, with how big the world is with the flood, just, you know, by chance, there was likely a a child who had just been conceived, you know, uh, days or even hours before who is, you know, being killed by the flood. And so uh, an innocent child who literally has not even had the time to sin yet, and God is killing that child, how is that morally acceptable? Especially when he was the one who said, don't murder. And I, I don't believe that the argument that we've all sinned and deserve death is a good argument because there are children who God killed who had not sinned. And so we should stop using that argument. And I think a better response is to realize and to look at what this life and what the next life are in the grand scheme of things, in the grand scope. And you can think when God was creating, he made this life and he made the the next life. And you can almost think of them as if they're two separate boxes and say this life, the first life and the second life, say he just labels them box one and box two. And there's some people in the first box and some people in the second box. God has people in each of them. And God says, you know, you as a man, generally speaking, are not allowed to move someone from box one to box two or vice versa. That's something that I have the authority to do, but I'm not giving you the authority to do it under, except for under you know, some specific circumstances, but generally speaking, you cannot do that. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to, what, what's a good word for if you, if you move someone from box one to box two, I know a good word for that would be murder. You are not allowed to murder people. And that is why murder is wrong because God says thou shalt not murder. It is wrong only because God is saying you shall not murder. That is the reason why it is wrong. Yet, you know, if if God wants to move someone from, you know, this box to the other box, of course, that's fine. If God wants to move someone from, you know, Colorado to New York, 
that is fine for him to do because it's moving someone from point A to point B or from point one to point two. And when God kills somebody, you know, he's moving them from point A to point B, from box one to box two. It's it's simply a transition of place. And now God, when he does that, it's just moving someone from one place to the other. A lot of the time, atheists will get mad at God for doing this. They'll say, hey, you can't just move someone from this box to the next, which is funny because if you're looking at the grand scheme of things as if they're just boxes and God moves someone from this life to the next, one box to the other, people get mad at him for that, but they never get mad at him for moving people from the second box back to the first box. Right? They never get mad. They never read the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and think, how could God do that? How could God move that person from the second box to the first box? You never see that. And I, why do you never see that? It's, it's the most bizarre thing to me that they haven't thought through that. Why is moving someone from the next life to this life wrong, but it's not wrong to move them from this life to the next life? I don't know. Don't look at me for why they're mad. I, I'm not. I'm not the one who's telling you why they're mad. It's also always funny to me that you look at the flood, and you always hear these atheists say like, "Oh, why? You know, why does God allow so many evil people to exist?" And then you look back at the flood, and when God killed all the evil people, and then all these atheists they look at that and they read that story and they start screeching. And I mean, come on, dude, you got to You got to pick or choose. But so, yeah, the reason that it's acceptable for God to murder or for God to kill is because he says, you know, he has that authority. And by the way, the, the, the difference between murder and kill in when in the Ten Commandments, it says thou shalt not murder. Some translations say thou shalt not kill. And thou shalt not kill is a bad translation. Thou shalt not murder is a good translation because murder means the unjust killing of another and kill means to end their life. And so sometimes you are just in killing somebody. Say they're attacking you. You're allowed to kill them and that is not murder. And so when God kills somebody, moves them from one box to the other, it is killing them, not murdering them, because it is not unjust, because he is the one who has authority to do that. When we unjustly do it, it is murder because we do not have the authority. And I was uh, talking uh, about this concept of mine with a, oh, my computer's making noises here. I was talking about this concept of mine with a a uh, fellow member of our, uh, an elder of our church. This was before Agape Kingdom Fellowship was around. And Brian Enyart Jr., who's been on the show before. And I, I was talking about this idea with him. And he didn't especially like this idea because, you know, well, Jesus wept when his friend died. And it was like, okay, well, that's, you know, he's saying, you know, this idea makes it seem like it's too little of an issue, you know, that 
God doesn't, to him, it's just looking at it like it's one box versus another box. And he said, well, Jesus really cares about death, and it's a big thing to God. So it's not just one box. And that's a, that's a, a good objection to this, to this viewpoint. And uh, the way I respond to that is to say that this, this analogy that I'm making, one box and another box, it's not to illustrate the significance of, of what God thinks of murder. That's not the point of this illustration. The illustration is to point out the morality of bringing someone from this life to the next or the next to this life, not to illustrate the severity of it. The So the morality versus the severity. Uh, but, you know, that is uh, I, a little bit went over time. Um, so I'm going to have to go ahead and cut the show off here. By the way, if you want, I was mentioning earlier, you can get our monthly Bible studies. I would also encourage you guys to get one of our, our Bible studies specifically just as a one-time thing. God's principles of government. You could you could either get God's principles of government or God's criminal justice system. Those are both seminars given by my father and predecessor, Bob and Yart, and I've been through both of those, and uh, probably God's criminal justice system might be a little bit more relevant to today's show. But God's principles of government is one of my favorite studies. I have, you know, I've been through a lot of our studies. I haven't been through all of our studies here. We have a vast library, and it takes time to get through them. Uh, So I haven't been through them all, but I've been through, you know, a fair chunk of our studies. And I got to say that... uh, God's principles of government is one of my favorites, so I do do recommend that you check that out. By the way, our you know our philosophy, if you will, on giving out products is that hey, if you can afford our products, great. You know, we would so appreciate that. But if you can't afford any of our resources, you know, reach out, and say hey, this is what I can afford, and of course, we would be so thankful for that and if you just say hey i can't afford this at all you know that that's great too you know we're not in this just to make a a living you know we do we do gotta pay and keep the lights on but that's not what this is all about at the end of the day i mean we won't be able to continue doing this without money you know we we do have to keep the lights on do have to pay for the electricity for this wonderful microphone um, but, you know, that's not what it's about. It's about sharing the gospel, getting to know God better, getting to know what he wants, you know, of us and to know what does he believe about the government? What does he believe about killing people and murdering people? What does he believe about the age of accountability and all these topics? It's, you know, that's what it's really about at the end of the day. So, um you know, I I do appreciate you guys uh, sticking with us through through all this, and I uh, I as always I appreciate your company. I appreciate getting to speak to the brightest audience in the country. You know, something really funny. I'm going off my notes here. Something really funny is I meet people all the time. You know, who listen to the show, listeners, and they say, "Oh, oh, we've been listening for years," and you know, I'll, I'll meet them and. They say, oh, I've been listening since you took over the show, Dominic. And um, it's funny because I really feel like I know who you are. 
And what's funny is I, I, my dad said this. I always feel the same way. I feel like I know who you are. Literally, I'll meet you for 30 seconds. You say, I'm a listener of the show. And I know, <laughs> well, hey, you are part of the brightest audience in the country. I know right who you are. And we always get along fine. We always hit it all off. So it's, it's not as one way as I think some of the other you know, podcasts and radio shows are. So I, I do appreciate the community that we have here. I, I really think it's something something special. And so I, I appreciate you guys as always. Hey, that is going to do it for me here today. I uh, invite you guys to join us tomorrow for Theology Thursday and on Friday for Real Science Radio with Fred Williams. Uh, I got a little sneak peek of Friday's show. I, I know it's coming up, and I know it's going to be good. So uh highly recommend you check that out. And join us Sunday at Agape Kingdom Fellowship uh, for church. That'll be a lot of fun. I hope to see you there. Also, you know, I said I want to announce it. Monday nights we're doing Bible studies. Uh, Bob and Yart Live and this whole the radio crew. We're doing Bible studies at Agape Kingdom Fellowship Monday nights at 6 p.m. Those are some of the studies that we'll be selling. So if you want to come, get them for free. You can show up at Agape Kingdom Fellowship Monday nights. Um, so that's that's always a lot of fun. I hope to, to get to meet you guys. Uh, but hey, this is Dominic Enyart reminding you guys to do right and risk the consequences.